John chapter 19, I'm going to begin in verse 16 and read through chapter 20. I invite you to read along or to listen. John chapter 19. So Pilate delivered Jesus over to the crowd to be crucified. And they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, Jesus being between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. Rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered him, I have written what I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four pieces, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge and full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his ghost. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. 
For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and again they will look upon him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in a linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one else had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. But now... On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away. So she ran and went and told Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And he said to them, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going together toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look inside, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus, at a place by itself, folded up. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that the Christ must die from the, and rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary... Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb. But she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands in his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, <coughs> "Excuse me, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness of any, they are withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came in. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were again locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Put your hand here into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing may have life in his name. You know, reading an online movie review for The Count of Monte Cristo will not help you pass your literature test, right? Reading that novel will not teach you how to reliably accrue a fortune. 
And reading investment literature and statistics will not itself form you into the sort of person who knows how to handle your wealth. See, things are written for a purpose, aren't they? And it's important to know that purpose if you want to be benefited from, not disappointed by, reading what is written. The Holy Scriptures are also written for a purpose. The Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, tells us, like a concluding introduction, what his purpose in writing his book is. It's not that you might appreciate Jesus as a nice guy, or a good teacher, or a crazy man. It's not that you might learn rules to follow, or faults to find, or secrets to master for a successful life. He wrote these things so that you and I and everyone everywhere might believe, might trust that Jesus is who he says he is, the Christ, the Son of God. And so that you and I and everyone everywhere may have eternal life in his name. That's why it's written. So what is written in the Bible? There's a lot written in the Bible. It's a big book, okay? What's written in John's gospel? Well, there's a lot written in John's gospel. But I want to look at seven. Yes, seven, okay? I want to look at seven. There are seven signs Seven signs that John emphasizes in his gospel. Written so that you might believe. So sign one, tell me if you can relate to this. There was a party in Cana. It was a wedding feast. The hosts expended great cost and exerted much energy to impress their guests and confirm their status to ensure their happiness and realize their dreams. And yet they ran out of wine. Oh, how their hearts must have stopped and their minds must have raced behind all those superficial smiles. Plans long planned, so quickly gone awry, ashamed enough to make you want to die. Hmm? But there was Jesus. Coming near their need, he worked his wonders, he relieved their distress so they could receive his blessing. He honored his mother's request. He quietly went right back with the servants, filled their jars with water, turned that water into wine, and not just any wine. It was good wine. It was foaming wine. It was aromatic and deep. He turned their water into wine, their worry into wonder, their suspicion into suspense, their mistakes into miracles, their disgrace into glory. So let you who are in need receive him. And let you who receive him believe him. And yet you who believe in him likewise live alive in his name. For he is the heavenly bridegroom, the redemptive host, who though he was rich became poor that we might become rich. And nothing messes up his celebrations. 
in him the bad things will turn out good, the good things will not perish, and the best things are yet to come. Amen? And so we say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Hallelujah. Well, what else is written? Second sign. Tell me if you can relate to this. There was this time in Cana, a boy. He was on the verge of death, immobilized by illness, no leaping, no laughter. Whose suffering was greater? His pain in his body or the anguish of his parents? How deep the Father's love for him and yet how impotent to save. In anger and grief he cried for help to the God, his Father who seemed so absentee. But there was Jesus. He came near his need and worked his wonders. He relieved his distress so he could receive his blessing. He pitied the Father's plea and the son's plight. All he had to do was say the word, go, and your son will live. The man believed, was not deceived. That very hour he found that the fever was gone and his son was not. He found his fears were gone, but his faith was not. He found his pow- he was powerless to save, but Jesus was not. So let you too, who are in need, receive him. And let you who receive him, believe him. And let you who believe in him, live alive in his name. For he is the very image of God, whose heart wrenches and laments his children's suffering, in sin and in misery. But whose word has power over every disease, over every addiction, over every affliction, over every disaster, over every demon. Nothing can stop him. He is open to all who come to him without prejudice and without price. Amen? And so we say that Jesus is the Christ. You're going to have to learn this, okay? Jesus is the the son of Hallelujah. You're going to get it by the time we go through. We've got, we got more of these. So what else is written? Sign three. Tell me if you can relate. There was in Jerusalem a pool called Bethesda, where laid poor folks with every manner of disability. Some were blind, some were lame, waiting in vain to be healed. One was there for over 38 years. 38 years. How long had he languished, undervalued, unseen, and overlooked? Did he believe that he was? That he was worth nothing? Was it now grafted in his mind that there was no grace? Was his heart hardened, I wonder, past any hope? But there was Jesus. Coming near his need, he worked his wonders. He relieved his distress so that he could receive his blessing. He truly saw him. He asked the man, do you want to be healed? Not, do you need any help? Not, what did you do to get here? But, do you want to be healed? 
take up your bed and walk. And at his word, the man got up on his legs, took up his bed, lifted up his head, and walked. And Jesus went away to find the man again, just to look at him, just to see him, to say, see, you are well. So let you too, who are in need, receive him. And let you who receive him, believe in him. And let you who believe in him, live alive in his name. For he is the physician of the sick and sickness, of sin and sickness alike. Come to see the unseen and give dignity to the dirty who does not lose any whom God has given to him. No, he loses not one, but lifts them up. Out of any affliction, out of even the grave, he is the face of the Lord who shines upon us and is gracious to us. Amen? And so we say that Jesus is the, the son of, that's better, hallelujah. We got more practice. What else is written? Sign four. Tell me if you can relate. There was gathered in a field by the Sea of Galilee a large crowd of folks. Some were sick. They were desperate for healing. Some were intrigued, wondering at the reports of this man. Some were annoyed and they were seeking answers to the crowd. Some were cynical and doubtful that there were answers to be had. But they all were hungry. Hungry in body, hungry in soul. And what can truly satisfy the craving soul? But there was Jesus. Coming near their need, He worked his wonders. He relieved their distress that they might receive his blessing. He fed their emptiness as if from himself. He accepted a boy's small offering, gave thanks, broke the bread, and from little crumbs made a great feast. He sent his disciples out like waiters, ministers of the gift, distributing abundantly. He even gathered 12 basketfuls of leftovers after all had eaten their fill. So let you likewise, who are in need, receive him. And let you who receive him believe in him. And let you who believe in him likewise live alive in his name. For he is the good shepherd who makes us to lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters, who restores our souls who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies and our emptiness, who is himself our bread and our Passover lamb. Amen? And so we say that Jesus is the the son of... What else is written? Sign five. I promise, I probably won't do seven points again in a sermon, but I like it, okay? Sign five. Tell me if you can relate. There was later on that same sea a boat with a boat full of disciples. The sky was dark and the sea was rough with high waves from strong winds making vain their rowing and inundating their hull with water and their hearts with fear. As such storms at sea or in life 
crash capriciously round about, are not even our protections plunged beneath our panic? For what salvation is there for the capsizing? But there was, there was, Coming near their need, he worked his wonders. He relieved their distress that they might receive his blessing. He walked right across that ocean sea. He came near the boat undeterred and entered it untroubled. He entered into their anxiety. He endured their calamity. He spoke amid their screaming, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peace. Be still. And the storm subsided and the howling hushed and the disciples found themselves already at their desired haven. So let you likewise, who are in need, receive him. And let you who receive him believe in him. And let you who believe him have life in his name. For he is Emmanuel. God with us, our pilot, our commander, the Lord through whom all things were made, whom wind and waves obey. He is the rock on whom to build, whom no storm can shake, no darkness can overcome, that weeping though it may endure for the night, he is the joy that cometh in the morning. Amen? So we say that Jesus is the the son of, hallelujah. What else is written? Sign six, tell me if you can relate. There was outside the temple a loud noise, shouts and slurs surrounding a woman being dragged out into the street. She was caught in adultery, red-handed, an offensive stain to be dispensed with without mercy. Heated eyes already honed in to cast stones in their hand. For shame always burns the brightest and easiest target, doesn't it? But there was Jesus. Coming near her need, he worked his wonders to relieve her from her distress as so she could receive his blessing. He heard her unheard pleas and pitied the guilty's plight. He did not engage the leader's taunts nor enter their trap. Downward he looked, eyes heavy in sympathy, piercing in perception, and said, Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. Hmm. And one by one they dropped their stones and left her there alone by Jesus, unharmed, uncondemned, forgiven, and freed. So let you who are likewise in need receive him and let you who receive him believe in him. And let you who believe in him, 
I've said this five times, live alive in him again and anew. For he is the advocate. Not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, but willingly taking our place. He was executed in our stead, the propitiation of our sins, the expiation of our guilt, the cleansing of our stains, the ransom of our lives, the removal of our shame, our perfect plea. Amen? And so we say that Jesus is the the son of Hallelujah. Sign seven. Last one. Hallelujah. Tell me if you can relate. There was in Bethany a family, Mary and Martha, sisters, and their brother Lazarus, friends of Jesus. Lazarus got sick. Jesus was not there. Lazarus got sicker. Jesus was not there. Lazarus got sicker still, and Jesus still was not there. Lazarus died, and Jesus was not there. How the sisters must have wept without their brother and without their friend. Why did he not come? Why did he not care? But there was Jesus. Coming near their need, he worked his wonders. He relieved their distress so they could receive his blessing. He listened to them. If you had been here, Lord, our brother would not have died. He received their rebuke, and he wept. And weeping, he went. He went to the tomb. He glorified God. He rolled away that stone and shouted through his own tears, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, well, he came on out. Amazement stopped tears and tongues alike as Jesus brought back the buried one. Let you who are likewise in need receive him. And in receiving him, believe in him. And in believing him, live alive again in his name. For he is the resurrection and the life. He is the word that spoke creation into being. He is eternal life. He is the light of men. And the darkness cannot overcome him. Not darkness, not death. Not sin, not suffering, not gallows, not graves, nor ages past, nor ages future. He is the man of sorrows who draws all men, past, present, and future, to himself. Amen? And so we say that Jesus is the the son of... Hallelujah. Such are some of the signs that are written. Seven that John especially emphasizes in his book. And there are so many more wonderful things written in this book. And how many more that weren't even written about? But these things are written so that in reading them, you may believe that Jesus 
is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in believing, have life in his name. But you know, as much as we may relate to some of the scenarios of these signs and be stirred to long for the same salvation from Lazarus's tomb, from the adulteress's execution, the disciples drowning, the crowd's emptiness, the invalid's paralysis, the little boy's suffering, and the hostess's shame. All of these signs are signifying a greater sign. They all point to another. There's one sign accomplished, one work written about, one that is to believe believed for salvation, and that is this, that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and yet rose again. All the power that Jesus had to work wonders was working in him to prepare him for that one wonder. That in him, God should take away all that suffering, take away all that sin, and take it into and onto himself. The freedom he won for others, he surrendered. The suffering he healed in others, he suffered. The guilt he took away from others, he incurred. The death he delivered others from, he died. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that Jesus, the Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself further, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Y'all, y'all got to let that stir you a little bit more. Woo, that's meant to crescendo, okay? That's why he did it. That's why he did. Not to stay humiliated and dead, but to rise exalted alive. He didn't just die for your trespasses, he rose for your justification. He didn't just cancel your debt, he granted you his inheritance. He didn't just share your suffering, he shares his abundant eternal joy. He didn't just redeem your name, he gives you his own. And at his name, every knee shall bow and tongue confess whether you believe it or not, whether you receive him or not, you will see him coming to finish all that he's begun. And to you who would humble yourselves to confess that you are needy and to receive his help and to bow to his name, 
Jesus himself will lift up your face, pick you up, wipe away your tears, raise up your life, embrace you in joy, and welcome you into life. You bow so he can pick you up. And to you who would hold on to your ways, who cling to your power and status, who can pick up your own bootstraps, who do not bow to Jesus now, you will cower in fear then. For there is only one deliverance, and the only deliverance at that time will be to hand over all sin and death to the eternal darkness and fire prepared for it, to the joy and relief of the needy whose pride had oppressed them. That's how we clear away sin. So we can flourish. Don't cling to it. Don't cling to it. Don't prefer that. Don't be stubborn. God wants you to have life. God died to give you life. God rose to give you life. There is no true life without him. Read the writing on the wall. Read the writing in the book. Believe in him. You are invited, invited to believe in him. Whether ashamed or embarrassed, fearful or frantic, Stretched or stressed, weak or wounded, sick or sore, despairing or dying, you are invited into eternal life. That's why Jesus rose. Hmm. I want more of that. Hmm. Right? That's why Jesus rose. And so we call upon his name. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, to enjoy eternal life now and forevermore. Amen? Amen.